0: Good morning to everybody. I trust and pray that during this time of crisis that uh, you are continuing to stay connected to the church. You're still continuing to stay in the word of God, to be encouraged by the word. I want to give you just a few announcements this morning as uh, our church members are gathering in their homes to listen to uh, this time together that we're going to have in opportunities to sing together and hear the word together. I'm sure you're aware that Smith County has issued a shelter in place order. Uh, This most certainly means that we will not be able to gather back as a church next Sunday. That order goes through April the 10th, I believe. Uh, We won't be able to resume our midweek activities either. Therefore, we're going to begin working on how we might use various technologies to advance times of Bible study and prayer and encouragement with one another as a church. And we will hope to begin rolling out some of those ideas to you this week so that we can um, work through this crisis in the best way we can to stay connected. Uh, We are going to be having a members meeting tonight. It'll be via Facebook Live. Uh, We're doing this because we need to deal with some pressing business of the church that can't wait uh, due to the fact that I'm still quarantined. I have a head cold. That's all I have if you're... Uh, worried about that this morning, but David is going to be serving as uh, chair tonight for that meeting. Our constitution does not allow us to spend any monies as a church after the budget expires on March 31st. Therefore, we will be voting tonight. Uh, We will be doing this via Facebook. If you go on Facebook Live, the instructions will be in an email for you. You can actually respond there. We're probably going to do it by acclamation which means if no one objects that's on, we'll be able to know how many people are on uh, at that time. And if no one objects, then we will move forward with the motion that will be made coming from the finance committee. What we'll be doing is not to adopt the new budget. That's not what we'll be voting on. We will be voting to give permission to the finance committee to pay all the normal bills that will continue to come in until we can reconvene as a church and vote a new budget in. Uh, We also have a a couple of timely announcements that will be made tonight, so please join us at 6 p.m. Follow the instructions, the email that you're going to receive. You should have already received it. Many of you watching this received it with the link for this uh, particular uh, message. I also want to thank you for your continued faithfulness in giving to support the ministry of the church that continues even in the midst of the crisis that we're in. Many people have either brought their gifts to the church office, they've mailed it in, or they use the option of online giving that's available at our website. We're thankful that that is available at this time. If you have any questions about using that, please contact uh, the church office. Uh, We know that several families in our church have lost their jobs or they've seen their income reduced drastically. So we're praying for you. We want you to reach out to us if you have any needs, uh, we also ask that if you do have a need to call us, maybe it's for groceries or something of that nature, and if you're able to help meet any needs, let us know. Um, we hope we'll give an announcement tonight, hopefully as well, about how our office uh, hours will work during this time, and uh, I'm sure even in the realms of giving that some folks, because of the stay-in-place order or shelter-in-place order, you uh, we'll want to make your gift to the church in a different way. So just call the church office and we'll help you in any way we can. On Wednesday evenings, uh, at least this Wednesday evening as I did last, I hope to host a Facebook Live event where I share just a brief devotional and give opportunity for people to share prayer requests for us to stay connected as a church the best we can. We want to be very careful about how we talk about, and we are being very careful about how we talk about what we're doing in these videos and releasing a sermon, a message, uh, having time of singing that um, Andrew and Megan will lead us in today, we are specifically not calling this online worship or the church gathering as online worship. Uh, we don't only we not only believe those are unhelpful ways to speak about it. We think they're unbiblical ways. We're thankful that we can use this technology to supplement what. We would do on a normal Sunday, but this can never replace what God has commanded us to do. We don't want anyone either feeling comfortable thinking that this is a good substitute or to communicate to the world that this is what church is. Church is gathering, and words mean things. Worship means things. We've seen that in the study of the book of Exodus. What a better study could we have been in the midst of when we're talking about what true worship is than than Exodus itself Uh, and therefore the word church means something. It means to to come together, to gather. It's the gathering of of the body of believers, and we cannot do what God has called us to do with a glass screen between us. We can't do that. Uh, So we're praying that God will quickly uh, end this crisis in our world. First and foremost, we'd say for sure that that folks would no longer be suffering and dying from this disease but we also want for us to be able to come together to worship as a body of believers and i hope that during this time that you will feel the pain of being separated from one another in the body of christ i feel that uh, this is now 3 weeks having been traveling one of those weeks that we've not been able to gather together i miss being with you i miss being seeing your faces Uh, I look around the room and it's quite empty and I can uh, picture exactly where many of you sit for after 14 years of preaching to this congregation, I know where you are and and where you normally sit during a a service and we miss you. Um, I miss you. I hope we miss one another and I hope that we will even take the time to reevaluate how we think about church itself and what we're giving ourselves to in this world. These are unsettling times for many, but we've got to remember that when we say God is still on the throne, that's not a simple platitude. It is a reality that he is sovereign Lord of this universe and we can trust him in the midst of this time of trial. And so I want to pray with you right now and then uh, there's going to be music uh, that will give you an opportunity to worship as a family because family worship is a a real biblical thing that we see in God's word that we talk about. And so do that with your family right now. Worship together, sing together, uh, uplift one another's hearts and one's own heart in the realities that Christ is the rock of ages. Would you pray with me even now as, if, as your family gathers? Father, we come this morning humbled by the fact that you are sovereign and we are not. We're reminded in the midst of this crisis that, Lord, we think that we are in control of so much. We're really in control of nothing. And this reminds us how small that we are, how big that you are. Lord, let us not forget that during this crisis. Let us remember to pray for one another, encourage one another, not allow this time of forced isolation to cause us to be comfortable with any form of isolation from the body of Christ. Lord, if we've been living for the world, let us stop doing that and live for your kingdom. May we be reminded that we can hide ourselves in the rock of ages, Jesus Christ who has died for us, who is our ever um, secure place to run, the fortresses we talked about last week that we can go to in the midst of any trial. Lord, even as we sing together now, we pray that Though we miss being together with God's family as a whole, we are thankful for these songs that have endured throughout the ages that allow us to even now sing our praises to you and that we can be reminded of all of the blessings that we have in Christ. And so, Lord, now we sing. Though not together as a body, we sing as families, as friends. And we long for the day when we'll be back together to worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.
1: Well, this isn't the same as being together, but we hope that this is an encouragement to you to sing along and to remind ourselves of some very important truths. We hope these songs will stay with you through the week and that they'll minister to your souls as the word of Christ ministers to us. Here, Psalm 18, one through three. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock. In my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Could my tears forever
2: Church, will you please join me as we pray together this morning? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, living in a time of uncertainty in this world. But we rejoice in the fact that even though our circumstances may be uncertain, our hope in Christ is steadfast. God, we thank you that we have a hope that is beyond our temporal circumstances, a hope that is eternal. We ask, Lord, that your Spirit would remind us of our hope in Christ that we would feel the peace that comes with being a child of God, even as we live in a sinful, fallen world. Lord, help us to rest in the truths that we just sang, that we can be confident, even in trying times, that Christ will complete every good work in us. Lord, we pray for our church members during this time of struggle, that you would calm every fear, that you would help us to cast our cares upon you, knowing that you care for us, And that those who are anxious would submit everything to you in prayer. That those who are lonely would remember that you never leave us or forsake us, Lord. God, we pray this especially for those right now whose jobs have been impacted by the events surrounding this virus. God, that you would help us as believers to meet each other's needs. And that you would be pleased, Lord, to provide work and income for those who need it. Lord, we also pray that you would help us as your people to remain faithful in our giving financially to the church during this time. God, remind us that even when times are difficult, you do call us to generosity. God, remind us that our giving is what fuels the cause of gospel ministry in our church, and that our giving also helps those families who are in times of need. During these dark days, Lord, help us to rally amongst ourselves, supporting one another as we love one another as Christ loves us. Lord, we know that even in the midst of a pandemic, there are other tragedies that still occur in a fallen world. And so we mourn this morning, along with Marbury Baptist Church in Longview, as they mourn the sudden tragic death of their senior pastor, Glenn Stone. God, we pray for this church. Pray for your comfort to overshadow Glenn's family and that congregation in their loss and in their grief. And we pray, Lord, that the other pastors there would care well for their flock during this difficult time. God, as we think of our own church this morning, we want to pray for some of our own members who are enduring physical trials. Lord, we pray for Cindy Grimes, Robster Lewis, Tina Reed, Clyde Harper, and Rose Autry. God, we ask for each of these that you would comfort them with the hope of the gospel in their time of trial. We ask that you help them to focus on your glory and your purposes, even in their suffering, Lord. Lord, we also pray this morning for Ben and Natalie Colby, missionaries whom we support. We pray for them as they serve in Nairobi and especially for Natalie, Lord, as she serves as a medical coordinator there. And this virus is impacting that area as well. We pray for them, Lord, that you would help them to be physically safe and help others to be safe, but be with them as well as they use this time to spiritually share the hope of the gospel with those they minister to. And Lord, this morning we rejoice as a church in the union of Sam and Emily Saunders. We're so thankful, God, that you've united them in covenant marriage this past Friday. And God, we pray for Sam and Emily. We pray for their marriage, that it would be a wonderful picture of the relationship that Christ has with his church, and that you would bless and make their marriage fruitful. Lord, be with us this morning as we continue worshiping you. God, prepare our hearts to receive the truth of your word. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Mm -hmm.
1: Oh,
0: thankful we are that it is true that the faithfulness of God is great. His mercies are new every morning. So as we think about that, let's take our Bibles and let's turn, if you would, wherever you are to Luke chapter 12. Last week we talked about the reality that God is our refuge, is our, our, our uh, place that we can run to, our fortress in the midst of everything, and that we as believers do not need to be controlled by the circumstances of our world, but rest in God. And this morning, I want to look at Luke chapter 12, and I want to begin reading together in verse 22, if you will follow along with me. And Jesus said to his disciples, For this reason, I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on, For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no no storehouse, no barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace... How much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you need these things. But seek his kingdom. And these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has chosen gladly to give you his kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven. Where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Being told not to be anxious about your life seems impossible, maybe even insensitive advice in our current circumstance, doesn't it? However, before the coronavirus even hit, we were were living in an anxiety-ridden culture. For years, we have had a massive medical world that exists to do nothing but to help people with stress. And no worry in our culture has or goes unmedicated. Yet with all of that, anxiety still plagues us. Then the coronavirus strikes and worry and anxiety become magnified tenfold. I was talking with a pharmacist this last week who said that sleeping pills and antidepressants are flying off the shelves right now like never before. Even in regular life, worry and anxiety are so common that we don't even talk about eliminating it. The term that we have today is we need to manage it. We need to cope with it. You buy a book on stress management or you buy stress relievers. There is an entire industry built upon helping people manage their anxiety and stress. It's estimated that $42 million million is spent every year just in government costs for helping fight anxiety disorders. We have names for every imaginable fear or worry. The number of things people find themselves consumed with worry are actually staggering when you begin to look at it. I mean, just under everyday circumstances that I'm talking about there, I understand why the world is stressed out. I understand why people are anxious, even without the threat that we face right now. It's frightening to be dangling in this inexplicable universe, feeling like that you're all alone, not being able to figure out why you're here, where you're going, and that's only magnified now in this period of isolation. So I fully understand Unbelievers being worried, who think their existence upon this planet is the only thing that life is about, who when they think about life, it's the here and now. If this is all there is, any threat, any threat to our happiness is troubling. But as disciples of Jesus Christ, why are we so easily gripped with worry? Being told to not worry, it can't be unrealistic. It cannot be insensitive advice because these words, words in Luke 12 come from our Lord and Savior. At the same time, Jesus isn't giving some pithy little comment like, don't worry, be happy, or just look for the silver lining. He's not teaching us how to manage stress and worry. If you look at the text, he's explaining how we conquer Worry. You see, Jesus comes along and he says, I'm not going to teach you how to manage your stress, I'll eliminate it. Jesus offers his disciples a more complete cure from the worries of life. He commands, do not be anxious. Now, I've often said that when the Word of God commands us to do something, it's usually because we, we can't do it apart from the power of God. When it commands us to not do something, uh, it, it's usually because it's something sinful that we naturally do. It comes easy to us, and so we're having to be commanded to do something that seems counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive, I think, to be told not to be anxious. If we didn't just naturally, in our sinful, fallen nature, become anxious, we really wouldn't need this command. We need this command because this is what plagues all of us. And Jesus says, do not be anxious Because you have a good father who knows what you need. Jesus said this, by the way, while he was challenging the cowards. uh, Not the cowards, I should say the crowds. He was challenging his crowds. If you look in the context just before that, they were listening to him teach to be more generous. And not be consumed with covetousness. And he used this uh, illustration of the fool of a farmer who just thought of himself and nothing else, thought that he had his whole life in order by getting everything just the way he wanted it, and then all of a sudden, his life was called by God. And Jesus said, if you want to have be rich, you need to be rich towards God. Being rich towards God means we let go of the pursuit of the stuff of this world. We put our focus and energies on God and his kingdom. That's where Jesus is driving, but as soon as the things we feel that we need for life are threatened, the worry always arises. It threatens us again. How can I be sure? How can I be sure that I'll have everything I need? How can I be sure I'll survive? So Jesus, if you notice there in verse 22... He turns to his disciples. So he had been talking to his disciples, someone in the crowd responded and asked a question to which Jesus told uh, at the beginning of chapter 12, he told the parable about the rich fool and then he turns back to his disciples who were in the crowd and he tells them not to be worried about their life. Don't even worry about the, get this, the most basic things such as what you'll eat or wear. This is one of the clear commands of Jesus. Don't worry. It's antithetical to our modern culture. It's antithetical to our fallen natures. When you look at our world, our economy is almost driven by creating a sense of anxiety in order to sell you the cure. I would say that news itself, they're selling you something so that you'll continue to watch and you'll continue to believe that they have the answer for you, even if you just believe the answer is the latest piece of information. The modern culture often addresses worries we didn't even know we had, and, and then it tells us what they are, so that we can be worried about something we didn't even know we should be worried about. And here we have Jesus in Luke 12 saying there are more important things in life than worrying about the next meal, that that doesn't even define life. I thought if we didn't eat, we couldn't live. Your life and your body are for God and for the glory of his kingdom. If that's what God has given you a body and life for is to live for his kingdom, do you think that he'll not take care of you so that you can continue as long as he chooses to give you life upon this earth to be able to live for his kingdom? So to prove his point, Jesus gave two examples from the natural world. One for food and one for clothing. And in both cases, his point is to show how much more God the Father will care for us, and this is going to be key, we'll see in this text, us as his children. Now, remember that Jesus is speaking to people who truly lived day to day. an Agricultural society. A blight could wipe out an entire season of food for people. People literally faced life and death situations every moment of every day in one sense or another. No government would send them checks in the mail. Yet Jesus tells them, these people, if you think, well, Jesus doesn't understand my certain current circumstances, think about the circumstances of those to whom Jesus was speaking to. And he tells them not to worry he says, consider the ravens. Now, it's interesting that Jesus chooses ravens. Ravens are not terribly attractive birds. Uh, you know, maybe if Jesus had said, consider your, your, your poodle or your shih tzu uh, you, that you love to take care of and you love to feed and, and love on, you might say, yeah, yeah, God, God loves animals like that. But here he chooses a bird that's not terribly attractive, and under Old Testament law, they were ceremonially unclean. Nevertheless, God provides what they need. They get what they need without sowing, reaping, or storing. They get what they need because this is the way God cares for them and feeds them. The point is not that we should be like the ravens in this way that we don't work. That's not what Jesus is pointing. He's simply making a, what is called a how much more argument to say that if God cares for the ravens who have no ability to care for themselves, how much more will he take care of his own children? If he provides for birds that live claw to beak, so to speak, he will certainly provide for you and me who are created in his very image and have been saved to live for his glory. And when Jesus says, what he says here is he says, all of this clamoring for life is so unnecessary and it's absurd for us to be anxious about things God has promised to provide. Look down there, if you would, in the text. He says in verse 25, and which of you, so he's saying, let me ask you a question. Which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his lifespan? He's saying it's unnecessary and absurd for you to be anxious about these things. Worry gains you absolutely nothing. All of your worrying, Jesus says, couldn't add a single hour to our lifespan. We're worrying about possibly dying, and we couldn't even add a minute to our life, no matter how hard we tried. In fact, my experience with ministering to people who are consumed with anxiety is that it doesn't add to people's lives, it actually subtracts from it, It steals our time, Our thoughts are consumed with our troubles rather than praying about them or doing things God has called us to do. We waste time worrying about them. We watch the stock market go up or down and feel better or worse based upon those type of things. Worry steals our rest. We lie awake at night anxious about tomorrow. How many of you have lied awake at night worrying? Worry actually even steals our obedience to God because it tempts us to all kinds of other sins. It tempts us to be irritable. It tempts us to addiction. Maybe some of you are even have or thinking about turning back to addictions to help you cope. Those things do not solve life. They only destroy it. It drives us to laziness where we just sit around feeling immobilized and, and helpless and so we just do Nothing. What's the point? Instead of realizing we need to be about the work of God's kingdom, worry steals our hope as we fear the worst about the future instead of realizing that our future is absolutely secure in Christ. You know, no wonder Jesus tells us that we need to eliminate worry, not manage it. In like, you know what, I'm more concerned about what worry will do to us as believers after this crisis than even in the middle of it. People, after we come out of this, who will try to make sure that they never face another issue like this again, uh, will live in perpetual fear, will overwork to and, and not... Use the resources God's given them for his kingdom and they'll overwork to store up more in the barn. So if you're tempted to do that after the crisis, I encourage you to go back and read near the beginning of Luke chapter 12 in verses 15 and following that reminds us of the rich fool who thought he could fix life by storing up enough. Jesus' second illustration, if you'll look in the text, and Let's just hear Jesus' words again before we do that in verse 26. If you cannot do this very little thing, this very little thing of adding an hour to your life, why do you worry about other matters? So he's contrasting here what God does do and what you can't do. Do you see that in the text? What God does do, what you can't do. And he goes on to another thing that God does in verse 27. Verse 27. Consider the lilies how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. You, you can imagine Jesus standing in a field of wild flowers and calling their attention to their great beauty and said, Look at this. Flowers don't do any work at all. Ravens do some. They at least need to go and pick up the food that God provides. But lilies, they don't grow, they don't toil, they, or I should say, they don't toil, they just grow. They don't spin fabric to make clothes, they just wear what God gave them. Yet even King Solomon's wardrobe, Jesus says, can't compare to what God has done and what God does. Even the smallest flower surpasses Solomon's splendor. God didn't just make the world functional, he made it gorgeous. Furthermore, flowers live much shorter lives than we do, he says here. It's true that our life is like a vapor, but the life of a flower is literally here today and gone tomorrow. Wildflowers in particular are not known for their longevity. On my drive this morning to the church, I saw one of my, one of my favorite things, times of the year, and since I love football and football ends in February there's not much between February and September to give me pleasure but actually this does when I, mean, I drive along and I see blue bonnets I love blue bonnets I'm, I'm hoping they lift whatever band there is to be able to get out in time to, to drive and see all of the blue bonnets because they're beautiful they're gorgeous but one of the th- sad things about blue bonnets is they're not here long They pass so quickly. Their beauty is there, and then it's gone almost as quickly as it came. Do you get what Jesus is saying? Flowers have a transistory existence. So why take the trouble to make them so beautiful? Why waste so much time on their adornment, yet God has lavished flowers of the field with He's given ravishing beauty. And if he will do that for temporary flowers, what will he do for those he has made in his own image and he is saved through the gift of his son? What will he do for the children he loves that he is destined to live forever? God will take care of us. This is not about laziness. God's commanded us to work. Right now, many of us can't. Many of us wish we could, and we are out of work. But what we do now is so important to seek God's kingdom, as we always should be doing, is we need to be obedient to God, and we need to trust him in the midst of this, and then when this is over, we go back to work, and by God's grace, he will choose to allow us to build or rebuild whatever. But here's the kicker we need to get. Worry is sin. It's a lack of faith. Worry comes from not believing God. To the extent that we allow worry to consume us, it's the extent that we're not trusting God. And Scripture says without faith it is what? Impossible to please God. When we worry, we're, we really deny God's providence. We're not believing that he will provide for us. We deny his goodness. We're not believing he has our best interest at heart. We deny his sovereignty, not waiting for him to provide what he needs in his own time. Ultimately, we deny his word like we read here in Luke 12 that reveals his special care that's given for his own. It's really as simple as this, Jesus says. When we worry, we don't believe our heavenly father is capable or willing to take care of us. The remedy for worry is getting our minds recalibrated and for us to have more faith in God and trust in God's kingdom. As soon as we start to feel anxious, we should start thinking about the character of our God. This is what Jesus does here. His wisdom, His goodness, His sovereignty, and all the promises He has made to us in Christ. The stuff of this world is not what we ought to be seeking. This is what the lost world does who doesn't have God as their father. I think, I could think, I, I think you could rightly say that you are never more worldly than when you are consumed with worry. Worry and worldliness go hand in hand. It's one of the reasons why I just have to turn off the news right now. I mean, it's not that I don't watch it at all. I do. But I, I, after a period of time, I just have to turn it off because it is built on nothing but pure worldliness, worldly thinking. Even when they bring religious people on, it's still filled with nothing but worldly thinking with a little Jesus juke here and there. And that depends on what station you're watching for that. But We need to be thinking through right now what God's word has to say to us. Never have we needed to hear his word more than we do right now. The people of this world who do not have God as their father, they're consumed with living for this world. They're like the rich fool who was worried about having enough storage space for all his stuff. The world is filled with those who are consumed with having more and more and more Their attention is dominated by things they don't have and want to get. Or maybe they're just struggling to get by. But all they can think about is how to finally get ahead in life. That's what the world seeks. Jesus makes it clear in verse 30. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. This is not how believers live. Because you have a father who knows exactly what you need. Do you know a good father who doesn't care whether his children eat? Do you know a good father who doesn't care whether his children are clothed? Meditate on the goodness of your heavenly father and the fact that he knows exactly what you need. So instead of living like the world, Jesus tells us to live a different way. Rather than seeking after the things this world sets its heart on, he tells us to seek the kingdom of God. You see that there in verse 31. Seek his kingdom. The ultimate way, the ultimate way that we are liberated from worrying about the things of this life is by seeking his kingdom. That's how we're liberated. I contend that The bondage we feel now with shelter in place. We have been far more in bondage by the thinking in this world than we are feeling right now and physically at this point. Those who make God's kingdom their foremost aim have no need to worry about life's essentials even. If we pray and work and set our hearts on the things of his kingdom as our first priority, we can be assured God will take care of every need we have. Our commitment to God's kingdom is the key to a life Free from anxiety. Now I want you to see what Jesus is saying here again in verse 32. Look at verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do you get that? You If you're a believer, have a heavenly father who has given his own son for your salvation. You have a heavenly father that is preparing his kingdom so that you and I, who have been saved by his son, can enjoy the riches and the blessings of his kingdom. Why then would you pursue the stuff of this world and be filled with worry and depression when you don't have all the stuff of this world or it seems to be threatened Because God has offered you so much more. He has not only promised to provide everything you need as you walk upon the earth. He has promised to give you his kingdom. It is not that God wants to deprive you. He has set out to overwhelmingly bless you. So listen to me loud and clear this morning. Jesus' counter strike against our coveting those things that we don't have and against us being consumed with worrying that we don't have enough is that we have our heart and affection set on too little. One of the problems with Christians who are worldly is that they are so easily satisfied with the smallness that this world has to offer. This is what C.S. Lewis talked about in his great sermon, The Weight of Glory. He spoke of this very thing. Here's what he said. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with the things of the world when infinite joy is offered us. We're like an ignorant child, he says, who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. He said we are far too easily pleased. You see, when it comes to understanding the pull of this world on our hearts, when we settle for the world, our problem is not that we really want too much. Our problem is is that we want too little. We want too much of that which will not satisfy and too little which will give us joy forevermore. Our eyes are set too low Our desires are set below that which God has prepared for us. And Jesus said, seek his kingdom because what does the Father want to give you? He wants to give you the kingdom. He's not withholding from you. He intends to give you everything you need now and overwhelmingly bless you with the riches of his kingdom both now and in eternity. If you don't trust God to provide everything that you truly need here and now... How can you trust his promises for what awaits you in eternity? We've got to get our eyes off this world. In the news that I have watched, I, there's a commercial that's running right now by Mercedes-Benz. And so it has this fortune teller, and that's another sermon for another time. But they have this fortune teller that's sitting here talking to this young couple, her girl, this girl and her boyfriend... And she looks at them and tells the girlfriend that this guy is the one. And she, you know, is happy to that to one degree or another. But what truly makes her light up is how she wished that she could have a Mercedes Benz. And then they tell you how you can have a Mercedes Benz by just leasing it for this amount of money. And anybody can have the joy and the happiness of that. That's what the world tells us what we really want. You want a Mercedes. Jesus wants to give you the kingdom you want a bigger house, Jesus wants to give you the kingdom. You want a smarter husband or better looking wife, and he wants to give you the kingdom. You want to be important, but he wants to give you the kingdom. You want to survive this crisis without losing your life, but God has promised it You eternal life, no matter what happens in this one through Christ, he wants to give you far more than this world has to offer. He wants to give you what the world can never take away, what moths cannot eat up, robbers cannot steal, he says. He wants to give you something that can never be lost because he's the one that holds it. You see, the gospel is the only answer for a heart that is torn by covetousness or torn by anxiety because only the gospel offers the cure for these things and brings true satisfaction. Now, I said earlier about this. Now, maybe you forgot, but let's look back at this. Jesus is talking to the crowd. You'll notice in verse 12. Or 13, I should say. But someone in the crowd said to Jesus. So he, Jesus turns and talks to the crowd, tells them this story about the rich fool. Then look down in verse 22, and he said to whom? His disciples. Now this is key. There's no, there, there are no unimportant words in Scripture. When, G, when we're told here who he was talking to and who he is now talking to is significant for us understanding what Jesus is saying. You need to understand that these words that Jesus says about seeking his kingdom, these words that Jesus says about God will provide for you, these words that Jesus says that God wants to give you the kingdom and is going to give you the kingdom is to his disciples. Not just everybody. Not just everybody in the, in the crowd. And notice he goes on to speak down in... Um, Let's see the verse. Okay, verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock. These are his sheep. Now, why do I make this point? I make this point is because you can't be set free from this kind of worry and anxiety that this life brings unless Jesus is your Lord and his kingdom is what you seek. Both things have to be true. You've got to be a disciple of Christ You've got to turn from your sin. You've got to turn from the sin of this world. You've got to turn to Christ alone. You've got to receive life in Jesus Christ. But even then, as a believer, you've got to then begin living as who you really are. A little flock. Disciple. You need Christ. Maybe you examine your life right now, and you'll come to realize the reason you are so consumed It's because you don't really have Christ. What if this crisis was used of God to bring you in to the kingdom of God? I pray you'll turn to Christ. I pray you will see that this world does not have anything to offer you that's ultimately fulfilling or sustainable. And even if this crisis doesn't kill us, Something else will. So how foolish it is for those who have trusted Christ to turn back again to worldliness and allow ourselves to be consumed with worrying about the stuff of this life. The next time you doubt, just look at the birds and the flowers and remind yourself of the greatness of God and the uniqueness of your own creation. Turn off the news and take a walk in creation. Turn off the internet and read a psalm your heart is either set on seeking the things of this world or God's kingdom it's not you cannot be doing both jesus said elsewhere you can't serve mammon and god you can't do bo- you can't do both things you might think you can like we said last week the devil wants to fool you to believe that you can but you can't so Jesus calls his disciples both to divest and invest. If you want to reject a life consumed with worry and exhibit a heart that's set on seeking God's kingdom, then you cannot be controlled by the stuff of this life. Rather than being controlled by the stuff of this world, the Christian life is a continuous transfer of funds in which we divest from the world in order to invest in the kingdom of God. And that's how he concludes all of this here. And Jesus wasn't talking to millionaires and billionaires. He was talking To regular folk like you and me. Even his disciples. Who had left everything to follow Christ. You see your heart is either set on seeking the things of this world or God's kingdom. So Jesus calls his disciples. To divest and invest. His point is not that we give everything away. By the way if we did we would have nothing left to give. And would ourselves be in poverty. The point is whether this is the model that reflects your life whether you're able to let go and living for God's kingdom would call for you to be willing to let go of whatever needs to be let go of for God's glory. We start by giving more of what we have to people who are going without. Are you generous with what you already have? Do you find your possessions as something that you need to hold tightly to or something you can use to help the the needs of others and advance God's kingdom? How about using some of the things that you have stored to share with your neighbors right now, particularly even your lost neighbors? thankful for, pe- for people in our church I am right now. I'm thankful for people in our church who have been taking what they have to help others. In fact, in the phone calls that I've been making to the church and our other pastors as well, when, as, as well, when we have asked if there's anything that you need, more people than not. I mean, the vast majority have been saying, what can I do to help others? I praise God for that. May that continue to be the case. That may we not be humanitarians merely. May we be Kingdom Arians, if you will, those who are living for God's kingdom doing these things. It's a perfect time for us to demonstrate to a lost world where our hope really lies. God's kingdom is the safest investment we can ever make. Earthly riches are so uncertain. Surely we know that by now. Money bags grow old, treasure fails, robbers steal, moths destroy. Or to put it in more contemporary terms, our earthly investments are subject to depreciation, loss, theft, liquidation. You can spend a lifetime getting everything buttoned up financially and a virus wipe it out all overnight, all overnight. But whatever we invest in the kingdom of God is safe forever. You can lay up treasures in heaven. Right now, in the midst of this crisis, Jesus says we can lay up treasures in heaven where none of those things, those bad things can happen. None of those things, it can't be stolen. It can't be destroyed. It's true that you can't take it with you, but you can use your earthly resources to invest in God's kingdom and store up even greater treasures in heaven. Now, my friends, if we're Christians, if we're Christians, what Jesus is saying here rings true to you. If it doesn't ring true to you, you either are not a Christian or you need to desperately get your life realigned in biblical, godly thinking. This is the best investment advice we could ever receive. This is the best survival advice we could ever get. This is the best guarantee that you'll ever receive. After all, it comes from Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Yet, why do we still hold on to our earthly treasure? Why is this? It's partly because we don't really trust Our Father. Our anxiety gets in the way. But Jesus gives an even more fundamental reason. It's a heart issue, finally, in the text. Verse 34, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We desperately need God to change our heart. Heart and treasure always go together. We cannot help but use our wealth and our possessions on the things that we love the most. And the crisis that we're in right now as with all crises that we face in our life, exposes our hearts and what we really treasure most. That's one of the biggest blessings of this crisis, if you'll let it do, is it'll expose to you what's really in your heart so that you can confess that, turn from that and seek God's kingdom even greater. We need God to transform our hearts. We need to learn to love the things God loves, and our treasure will be sure to follow. Your heart is the center of your being. It is where your valuables, your energies, your time, and all the things you value most are. Everything springs out of that. Only the gospel can break the power of reigning sin in us and set the prisoner free from worshiping the stuff of this world to living for God and his kingdom. I can tell you exactly where your heart is this morning. Where are you laying up your treasures? Are you investing primarily in this world or are you you divesting from this world and investing in God's kingdom? Where have you been focusing your time, money, energy, investing in the last few months? If you were to go back and look at the last three months, where have you been investing everything? Jesus says we will put our treasure where our heart is. That's where your heart's been. And if your heart right now is conflicted, it may very well be because your heart's been there, not here. Sadly, for some of us, it's been with the clothing on the rack, the product in the catalog, the improvement of the house, the dreams for financial security, the hope that our children will be successful in this life while making little preparation for the next. We've been teaching our family that seeking God's kingdom is our hobby and investing in this world is our venture. I pray that we'll seek God to transform our hearts so they will be found Investing in God's kingdom. Caring for the poor in the world, the orphans around the world, the suffering church and the persecuted world, the gospel ministry of the local church. Let us not be wringing our hands, but let us be showing a lost world where our treasure really lies. And here's the thing. This is one test that isn't too difficult to see whether you're living for God's kingdom or your own. It's always easy to tell where someone's heart is. It's wherever you're putting your treasure, wherever you're making your investments with your time and money. What controls your heart and drives you to worry? Next Sunday, we'll talk about anxiety-free living. But I pray that you will take this week to turn off the influence of the world and immerse yourself in the promises of God. God has promised you the kingdom. There is nothing you can lose here that can threaten that if you have Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you have provided for us in Christ. We are thankful that you, Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. May we trust you. May you expose what is controlling our hearts to us. So that we might run to you. Turn from it. Repent and run to you. Knowing we have nothing to worry about. When your kingdom is first and foremost. All these things. That we really need will be added. Let us live for your kingdom. Above all. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. (laughs)
1: I saw